0: Hi, everyone. I'm Claudia Sarek. And I'm Zach Mack. And this is So You Want to Run a Restaurant, powered by Back of House, where we let you have a seat at the table and talk about trending topics in the restaurant industry. Well, we've got Molly Arani on the show today to talk about Chaipani Restaurant Group. Um, this restaurant group is in Asheville, North Carolina. And wow, this spot has exploded. She has done so many cool things in the in the industry.
1: Honestly, there, there's. It's one thing to say you got successful restaurant, but to spin off, you know, successful businesses, yeah, uh, CPG businesses with, with Spicewala. I'm honestly thrilled that we get to talk with her today because there's very few people who can do one of those things well, let alone both. Yeah. So I'm sure we're gonna learn a lot of really interesting stuff from her.
0: Yeah. So just for the folks that are uh, listeners who might not know, Chai Pani has locations in both Asheville and Decatur, Georgia and was named most outstanding restaurant at the 2022 James Beard Awards. So that is that is quite the award for them.
1: Have you ever been to Chaipani? I have not,
0: but I've seen it before and I've seen their spice their um their CPG line of, of spices. Um I know that also was featured on Oprah's Favorite Things list which really exploded it and made it
1: It's true. Who did, what, what what better bump could you ever possibly hope oh, for? I know. No, she she's she's honestly she's been very very successful a lot of like hard work has gone into that clearly so yeah like i said i think she's gonna be great to talk with i I, mark my words this might be one of the better conversations we have on here so
0: let's welcome her to the show We are really excited to have Molly Araney on the show with us today from Chai Penny Restaurant Group. Molly, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you all.
1: Molly, it's really, really nice to meet you. I'm so glad we get to chat with you today. Um, I'm familiar with your business endeavors, and it's it's always good to have someone on who we're familiar with. But um, we always kick off the show with the same question, nothing too crazy, but we just want to know about how you got into this industry, this crazy industry, and uh, if you it's something with us in your family background or just something that you kind of fell into because uh, you didn't know what you didn't know what you wanted to do.
2: <laughs> um, all of the above.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> we hear that from a lot of people. Yeah.
2: So I actually grew up in this industry. And um, it was a family-run restaurant that was run like so many family-run restaurants are in the sense that it was wildly popular and never made any money and everybody worked themselves to the bone. And so that was sort of the imprint in my mind as a child growing up in the industry. And I also recognized that there was this space in which people without any sort of credentials or, or official training or like a permission slip from the world to let them do this thing, there was this space in which people could be wildly creative. Mm-hmm. And so I had these sort of conflicting impressions of the industry as a kid. I saw how hard my parents worked for ultimately being able to raise a family, which was not nothing. That was a big thing to be able to do from a restaurant. They raised their family, my mom and my stepdad, But there was no money left over. They ended up getting a divorce. They sold the business for almost nothing and then walked away. So in my mind, even though I recognized that there was also the potential for this creative space in the restaurant world and a lot of fun, I also saw the hard part of it. So I kind of ran as far away as I possibly could get from the restaurant world. I had grown up in the southeast in a tourist town, and um, that was where the restaurant was. So it was also tourist you know, seasonality and all of the stuff that goes with it. I ran as far away as I could and went to California to finish college and stayed. And I studied child psychology, which coincidentally ended up being very helpful in running restaurants later on in my <laughs> I was life. Say, I <laughs> feel like oh, that would have helped you hand. along the
0: way. Yeah. Hand in hand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's one of those fields that's never going to hurt you on your career path. It's oh, so
2: yeah. true. It's so true. So I you know, had all this whole other background. I worked as a professional organizer. I became a doula. I helped deliver babies. All of these things ended oh, wow. up influencing my ability to open and run restaurants later in my life. But long story short, my husband and I at the time had our daughter who was three years old and we were burnt out on the pace of Northern California, Bay Area life.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
2: we moved to Asheville, North Carolina in hopes of being closer to family and just finding a a cool town that we could raise our family in that had less pressure. And then things were going very well. We loved it here. And then 2008 hit and the big recession happened. My husband at the time was in real estate. I was working as a professional organizer for artists who could not afford me. And the gig was up. And we didn't want to leave. We didn't want to have to go to another major metro city just to find work. We really loved living here and wanted to raise our family here. So we started this process of investigating, like, what could we do? What does our town need? And I'll skip through a very long story to get to the punchline, which was my husband. I was basically, we were 39 years old. And that's, you know, late in life to reinvent yourself. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I recognized that this crisis we were in was kind of an opportunity and probably our last chance to reinvent ourselves and find some kind of work that we were really passionate about because we were successful in our careers, but we weren't really passionate about what we were doing. Yeah. Didn't light us up. So I gave him this whole speech about like, this is your chance. And if we're going to jump off this cliff anyway, and we have no financial backing, it might as well be jumping towards what you love. And I gave him this whole speech. And then- he literally woke up in the middle of the night one night and said, <laughs> I know what I want to do. I want to open an Indian street food restaurant in Asheville, North Carolina. Oh, wow. And this was completely out of the blue, by the way, because we had never, ever, ever talked about opening a restaurant. It was nowhere on any of the lists of all of our things that we were thinking about. He, His background is an MBA and tech. And then he ended up in sales. My background was totally different. I knew how hard it was blah, blah, blah. So to cut to the chase, I said, forget everything I said about following your bliss. Are you out of your (laughs) effing mind? That is the hardest job in the world. Yeah. Not to mention there's no Indian people in this town. Like, what are you talking about? So, so much for me being a supportive wife, you know, encouraging his uh, midlife crisis to find his bliss. But
1: but you did it needless. But i would say at least I was say you have the background to be able to tell him, like, listen, I know what this looks like, but I know what right. it's actually like. It's a very in execution, yeah. it's very different than like the, the dream. Everyone, you know, wants to You're bar, dealing but...
0: with the childhood trauma here as you think yes. about opening up a restaurant. I'm very using few your psychology background. Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs>
2: true. You guys yeah. just nailed it because that was exactly what was going through my head. It's like, okay, I know I could basically play the devil's advocate to his wild fantasy dream and that ended up being a really important role so he wrote this phenomenal business plan that ultimately the first job of that business plan was to sell me on the idea and it worked and yeah and his idea really ultimately was well there's two key things that got me on board with it that made me want to jump on this wild adventure with him run a business as a married couple. The one thing I swear I'd never do.
1: <laughs> that's the other hard thing. Opening a restaurant is one thing, but as a couple, it's also, that's an endeavor. Double way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: it, it's a thing. It's real. Mm-hmm. So the two things that he wove into this business plan that kind of were, it was sort of part of the scaffolding that held it up. One was that we would have an exit strategy, not for us to exit the business, but for us to exit the phase of doing everything yourself all the time, forever and ever, which is how so many restaurateurs spend most of their careers. And then the other big piece that he wove into his business plan was how we would set out to change what we saw was broken about the industry. And that was what lit me up and got me really excited. I was like, okay, that I have something to say about. That's somewhere I can really contribute. And we ultimately decided to do this adventure together and opened our first restaurant, Chaipani, in Asheville in 2009. That first whim of an idea came in April. We opened our doors in September of that same year.
1: Wow. So it
2: was, yes, it was a <laughs> wild adventure. No backing, no funding. We did everything ourselves, bootstrap, you know, blood, sweat, tears, friend loans, all of it, credit card debt, and started with nothing. And fast forward 13 years to today, we now have the the very successful growing restaurant group and a spice company. And we still like each other. We still like each other.
1: That's. I want to get, I want to get back to that in a little bit because there is yeah. so much, we don't get very many couples on here to talk about that sort of thing. No. So we'll definitely get to that, but that's truly the shortest runway for a restaurant without like massive backing uh, or like, you know, kind of like a spinoff that I've ever heard of. So that's incredible that you pulled that off.
2: I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> I would never do it again, but it's all we had. We were literally broke and all of our friends in our industries were going bankrupt because of the recession because of how it hit real estate so hard and it was like okay this is the amount of money we have we got a turnkey funky rundown diner that we could buy all the equipment and like somehow you know make it our own and that was what made it possible was us being able to buy out that sort of turn around an old space rather than starting, start from it's,
1: fresh. We, we've actually talked about that a lot on here. Cause my, my genesis into the restaurant world kind of came from the fallout 2. I graduated basically right into the economic meltdown and had no designs when I moved to New York of getting into restaurants, but you know, it happened. And, you know, we were, I was about to ask you like, what gave you the idea to open up Chaipani or gave you the impetus to open it up. But that's the perfect example. It's, sometimes people kind of see the writing on the wall for what was happening in the, in the economics sphere and seems to be, kind of happening again after COVID. Um, but, and they thought that was a terrible time to open up a restaurant, but like there was also a lot of opportunity, right? And I mean, something's yeah. right. You guys, congratulations, because you guys, you won a James Beard Award, which is huge. And so, you know,
0: a Thank decade you. and change
1: on, you guys are clearly doing something right. So
0: that, that's my question. When did you know that you were doing, when did you know what you had decided to do was the right thing? And when did it really start gaining traction and taking off?
2: Well, that's a really interesting question because I feel like we got evidence from day one that the concept that we had created was something that our town wanted. Mm -hmm. And the the evidence was that we had lines out the door from the beginning, even though we thought we were starting with a whisper campaign that was going to give us sort of a dry run before we, you know, so that we could find our legs and figure things out because we really didn't know what we were doing but we had lines out the door from day one. We ran out of food by one o'clock in the afternoon. We were supposed to be open till 11 o'clock that night, completely ran out of food. The next day we made it till two o'clock in the afternoon. We had film crews in there because they were so curious what the heck was going on in downtown Nashville that there was lines around the block. And then after day three, we finally got to the point where we were like, we have to reconfigure, we closed. For the whole weekend, we doubled our staff, trained everybody, and from that point forward, kind of started getting our act together. But when we opened, we were so broke, we had to take the money, the cash, from the register that day to go buy product.
1: Wow. So wow. we
2: were really starting with zero.
1: True and bootstrap.
2: Two COG, true... C-O-D. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> completely. So the town was telling us, we're excited, you're here. And we felt pretty confident that we had hit on a concept that was appropriate for the time and that was needed at the time, which was a fast, casual, high quality, but low price point, really interesting cultural story about food. Mm -hmm. And our vision of it was that we were going to bring people on an adventure to India by coming into our space and experiencing not just the food, but also the culture that know represents the food so but we were so bootstrapped from the beginning that it really we were just all hands on i was running the register every day marijuana was in the kitchen every day we were doing everything ourselves and it took us about a year to Mm -hmm. pause and come up for air and when we did what we did was a little staycation which in restaurant world really means like you're working, but you're working uh, not in the restaurant, but like in another location, you're still working. Yeah. yeah. But So we took our first break after one year and we gathered our team together and we rented a little hotel room in downtown Asheville and we put up big poster boards all around the walls. And we basically asked the whole team that had been with us from day one, a few questions. We asked what's working, what's broken, And what is it that we have hit on? Because it really seems like we've got lightning in a bottle here. What is that lightning? What did we build? What's What's so great about this? And we filled the walls with all of our notes. And then we stepped back from that. And those notes ultimately became our mission statement and our training guide and our ability to communicate to new hires who we are, what's the ethos of our business, why do we exist? So that we could start that process of getting out of the weeds and doing everything ourselves.
1: Mm-hmm. That's, so you had the kind of reorganization moment, there the steps towards your exit strategy that you guys so dutifully put in place in the beginning, which is very smart. How long did it take for you guys to kind of to start generating the kind of cash and, and kind of set things apart so that you could, you know, think bigger picture?
2: It's a very good question, and you know, so yeah, the way most restaurateurs experience it, it's it's like one step forward, two steps back, and then there's months where it's two steps forward and only one step back. It, we were like that for years, yeah. and ultimately, our strategy worked, which was to grow our business, and we grew by assessing when our team was ready for growth. We had started with a group of really brilliant, wonderful. Committed young people that got hooked on this idea right along with us and were almost as surprised as we were that they loved it as much as we did. And we wanted to grow them. We didn't want to lose them. So we decided to grow. So we opened a second Chaipani in the Atlanta market, which for us was like going to the big city. It's a huge metro market. Would we yeah. survive? Would it be okay? Uh-huh. And we trusted this team that we had been mentoring for years to really. Take the helm and they did, and they ran with it. And that was the turning point for us. Mm -hmm. It was another couple of years of work of figuring that out and going back and forth and being on the road a lot and all of that. But ultimately, that started a process of growth. Mm -hmm. And our restaurant group has grown from that place of growing our team. What is our team ready for? When are they ready for growth? And really nurturing young leaders up into positions of management and leadership that they didn't come in with the training for. But like us, we figured it out on the job. They can figure it out too. And we you know, try to give them all of the mentoring that we possibly can to succeed in these roles.
0: I wonder if that's something that I feel like we hear so much about staffing and staffing challenges in the industry. And do you think that if, do you think more restaurants need to adopt that kind of ethos and mentality with their staff in order to not only attract more staff but keep the staff because you know one thing I think the pandemic taught us was that this is not just i mean for some people sure it's it's a job that you take like when you're in college but for a lot of people this is their life and this is their career so I don't know curious it sounds like you kind of cracked or at it, least it
1: can of... be their life and their career too with the right opportunity yeah you know? so, yeah
0: yeah 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 exactly
2: and I think for so many people it's both you know it's like mm-hmm. the, even for people who have studied this and this is their career, the industry can lead to burnout if you're mm-hmm. not in an environment where there's a path for growth. And then there's the people, which is the vast majority of the people who work for us because we're you know, fast casual, high volume, tourist town. We get a lot of college students that work for us and people that are taking it as a summer job. And it's our job to hook them. Otherwise, we will be a rotating door of people coming and going. And we really have, that's one thing that we've done really well is break that mold. And one of the ways that we've done that, when I say mold, I mean, break the sort of cycle of just, you know, the transientness of it. we still face the same challenges. Of course, it's a challenge for all of us, particularly in the post-pandemic world, but one of the ways that we tried to break out of that was by really thinking of growth, not in the perspective of like the ladder where you come in at this position and then you gain this skill and then you climb the ladder and da, 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 da. What we found was like most young generations now have absolutely no interest in climbing anybody else's ladder. They just look mm-hmm. at that ladder and they're like, yeah, whatever. Like the world could blow up by the time I reach the top of that ladder, or like I'm not going to climb a ladder that's not of my own design. So, really working with generations of young people, we had to give them choice. And the way we think about it is like a rock climbing wall instead of a ladder. So, every time we can give them another rock in that wall, either by expanding their skill set or helping them grow in the direction they're most interested in that lights them up, it adds another rock in that wall and it gives them a lot of different places they can go with us. We have people that start out as dishwashers and end up being front of the house managers. And we have people that started out on the line in the kitchen that end up representing our walla brand through sales. You know, like the growth that we're mm. focused on is about being expansive so our team can feel expansive Within the opportunities that are presented for them, um, but ultimately the only real way to do that is to be listening to your team. So that's the cut to the chase. To know yeah. to
1: know your staff, right? Yeah, it's yes. a
0: very human what they human centered design approach. You know, it's like the, you're putting them at the center of this, and you're listening to their needs and their problems, and you're saying, yes. okay, I'm going to give you all this. I love that concept too. Yeah, and I think Fairhouse you're so right, right in about industry. This.
1: Yeah. Yes. And it, yeah,
0: you know, and you know, unfortunately, you have an organization that. That really that fosters that and can and can allow that. So, I want to go back and talk about your spice brand a little bit here because I know you mentioned that too. So, when did you decide to launch that? And I know that you also got a little bit of an Oprah bump for
2: that brand. Is we that got true? a big
0: Oprah bump. Yeah, yeah. That Oprah <laughs>
2: effect is real, man. Yeah. <laughs>
1: if
2: if I had a recording of every time my husband had a wild idea <laughs> and said. This will be the easiest thing we've ever done. That was how Spice Hollow <laughs> was born. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it started because one of our um one of our uh food reps came to him and said, "You know, I've got all these chefs asking for certain spices and I can't find them. Where do you get these spices and blah blah blah." So, they started a conversation about we're already importing at that time we were importing spices from India through a distributor and then basically like making our own blends of spice yeah. in-house. Okay, so the distributor basically said, What if you also imported them and became that middleman and created blends for other chefs that are asking for these things that I don't have the ability to, you know, provide them with. So that's where it started. Mm-hmm. And ultimately it grew and our design team is so awesome at what they do that they created these really cute tins and the packaging was really customer friendly and yeah before you knew it we had created a brand and then right when we were starting to figure out okay what are the channels do we want to sell through grocery stores or do we want to keep wholesaling just to chefs or do we want to go in the retail direction because these are so retail friendly these little tins right as we were figuring that out we had come up with this sort of gift pack, uh-huh. and Oprah listed that gift pack on her favorite things that year. And all of a sudden, it was like our little company that was just finding its legs blew, blew up.
1: up. Yeah. And we
2: literally had to buy every tin in America that size. And then we had tins coming on a slow boat from China. This was pre pandemic when the boats were still running. Yeah. And import them in order to accommodate the holiday <laughs> sales through the Oprah effect. So wow! thank you, Oprah. We were very grateful and it, it really launched that whole brand.
0: I'm us. glad it did though, because you hear about sometimes the Oprah effect killing businesses because the, they can't handle the influx of orders, but it sounded like you guys navigated it. And I, by the way, I love your brand. I love the simplicity thank of it. You. And for our viewers, you should check it out online because it's really cute and it's so colorful. It's eye catching, but it's simple, and it's it's really it's cool. I like it.
2: Thank you. They it is. we have a lot of fun with it, and it's really become another vehicle for storytelling for us. Yeah. It's a way to highlight different cuisines and things outside the. It's a way to color outside the lines of our restaurant space, and create a lot of opportunity for storytelling. And then when the pandemic happened and all of our restaurants were closed, Spice Walla really blew up on another level in a good way because everybody was cooking from home. And um, of course, marijuana was missing cooking and missing communicating with people. So we started filming these little, we called them chai time. And we were filming just on like, what I think, it, I don't know what it was. It was like Facebook live or one of these things, Instagram, where we were just filming him cooking and talking to the camera. And we were just having conversations with our community about food and spices. And it was so fun and a way to really, connect with people again at a time when we felt so isolated. So Spice Wallace sort of went through another peak during the pandemic and also really helped us get through that time.
0: Yeah. So what advice do you have for people that are interested in doing launching a CPG brand? Because I feel like this is an avenue that so many restaurateurs are exploring right now. And any like any pit, I mean, you talked a little bit about it here, but like pitfalls or where would where would somebody get started if they say, hey, I've got a sauce that's selling really well. I've got a dish in my restaurant. I want to try to market this in something else. What, what sort of advice do you, you know, have?
2: It's such a good question. I feel like it's similar to the restaurant. Experience. We we kind of did everything the wrong way, and that's how we learned how to do it the right way. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. <laughs> we, we started it's the best education. Yeah. <laughs> it's the true, yeah, Yeah, and Actually,
2: I will say, as much as it oh, you know almost broke us so many times, I will say that's one of the things I love most about this industry is that there is no permission slip needed. There's no barrier to entry. It's like if you have a really good idea and you're willing to work hard at it you can be in this space and mm-hmm. uh, you know whether it's cprg or in the uh, restaurant space and ultimately i think that creates a highly diverse interesting group of people that we're really lucky to call peers um, but with the brand i think ultimately it's very important to understand that you're going into an entirely different industry mm-hmm. and it has nothing to do with running restaurants mm-hmm. and I think because you have a good product and you want to figure out how to sell that product, that's smart and go for it and there's lots of classes you can take and information online, but understand that you're going into a different industry. It has different margins and you're going to need different types of funding and different infrastructure. And you as the person with the idea, you have to have the bandwidth and the space on your own plate to be able to take that on. We benefited from Spicewala being Born at a time when our team was growing. And so we could take some of the people that had been working in our restaurant spaces and move them over to Spice Walla to help us launch that brand. And so they knew us. They already knew our culture. They knew our business's ethos. They knew how we would want things done. And without that, it would have been very, very difficult because Marijuana was still the CEO of the restaurant group and the executive chef and starting to get James Beard nominations and needing to be in 20 places at once. So I guess that would be my one big takeaway is like, take the time to do the work, to do the research, to find out what you're getting into so that you can make it successful without it breaking you as an Mm -hmm. individual.
1: Mm -hmm. It's funny because the way you talk about it, the CPG thing became such a big part of the industry as if so many people around in this industry have the free time to, (laughs) to tackle (laughs) a completely (laughs) separate endeavor which yeah. you may have no background in whatsoever. And, you know, it's, it's crazy to see, again, lightning in a bottle twice is, is just something crazy to be able to, to, to put on your resume. And that's something you guys pulled off. I mean, is there anything looking back? I mean, we've you've, your momentum is a clearly, it's fantastic. But is there anything you ever like look back at and like kind of wish you had done a little differently or like if you could revise anything? Granted, you've seen your business, you know, starting from like an a economic collapse through a global pandemic. Is uh, that that changes some things? But is there anything you would have done differently, um, despite you know these major events?
2: I mean, the list is so long. I'm actually in the middle of writing <laughs> a is. book about it
1: because <laughs> yes, I'm like, yes, learn
2: from your buy mistakes. It. I'll right? buy it. It's yes. Like, <laughs> there's way too many to list in that category. But I I will say, I think that our mistakes, we really truly, it's not just like a cliche saying for us. We view our mistakes as our greatest opportunities, always. Whether it's a mistake in service, where something goes wrong in service, which happens every single service, there's no perfect service, that is an opportunity to win a customer for life. If you show them how much you care, if you demonstrate how much you care, even in a counter service, fast, casual environment, that way of connecting with your guests is possible if you are thinking outside of the box and getting creative. Mm -hmm. So we view our own personal mistakes in the same way. It's like those mistakes are just one more rock in that rock climbing wall that helps us get ultimately where we're trying to go, which is to be a business that belongs in the communities where it exists, that makes an impact, makes a difference, that makes the community better because it's there Mm -hmm. and makes, creates an environment in which people can work and thrive and grow. And ultimately, as long as the mistake, is something we are recognizing and not being blind to. Like you can't go th- when the mistakes happen because they are going to happen. Especially when you're growing brands and trying new things and experimenting. We have several restaurant concepts. We have the Spice Waller brand that we learned all these different you know pathways in which channels are successful, which aren't. We've done a lot of experimenting. So one of the takeaways for us in that is just start. Like do the research, find out what you need to learn about it, but don't be sitting around waiting for somebody to tell you that you have what it takes to do it. If you believe in the idea and it's clear and you can really articulate what that idea is and why it's different and what's unique about it and why it's needed in the world, go for it and trust that you're going to roll up your sleeves and figure it out as you go.
1: The inertia is real for sure. That's one of the hardest. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I think the pandemic really brought that home to people. It's like nobody knew what to do. Everything was blown up. We all had to reinvent and figure it out. And there was no time to stop and find the guide or that nobody had the how-to. And that muscle of like, if things fall apart and we have to respond and adapt and grow and take it as the opportunity for what it is and i think the pandemic really is one of those greatest opportunities even though it was the most horrible thing in the world and the worst thing in our industry Mm -hmm. it also did the hard work for us in a way it's like i think about it like this one of the hardest things about change is disrupting the status quo in order to make the change because there's momentum in your work right People are used to things happening a certain way, and you know something needs to change, but you don't really want to disrupt everything. The pandemic blew it all up. So now as an industry, we have this opportunity to rebuild better, and the destruction already happened. So this is where the opportunity lies. And we sort of view every mistake that's ever happened in our business for the past 13 years, which is countless, like exactly that same way through the same lens.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious, what's next for you all? Because I know you've got, let's see, three different three different concepts. You've opened a spice, the spice brand, and what's what's up, what's up next in the future? What could, here? what
1: could possibly be coming next? You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Give us some well, insight. My money's on ice cream. I don't know why. It just popped into my head. <laughs> That's awesome.
2: Love that that's where your buddy is. I'm always trying to figure out a way to put ice cream in our spaces, but man, freezer space, freezer space is an issue. In it's horrible. Yes. Yeah. It's a real challenge. Um, so a couple of things. One is I think we are, we have, because we got this big James Beard Outstanding Restaurant Award, it's a it's provided us with an opportunity to really fast track some of our growth plans. And The growth trajectory we're most interested in right now is our fast casual models. And right, so one of the models we have is Botiwala, which is one of our Indian street food concepts, but it's counter service instead of table service. And it proved itself to be very um, pandemic proof, recession proof. You can run it with a smaller team. It's more efficient. The numbers work right out of the gate. And so we're interested in growing that concept and looking for more strategic ways to grow our Chaipani brand, which is a harder concept to replicate because it's much more chef-driven. I'm also in the process of writing a book that tells our story and shares all of the mistakes learned as a sort of offering to the industry that I ended up really falling in love with.
0: Oh, I love that. All right, we'll have to get a signed copy
1: from you then. Yes, I I will support writer, writer to writer here. I will gladly (laughs) buy. I can't wait to see that on a shelf. That's fantastic.
0: Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Molly. This has been a fantastic conversation. I love all of your insights, the way that you think about this and the way that you're not just thinking about it and putting it all into action as well. This has been such a delightful conversation today.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. It's my favorite thing to do to sit around and talk about what we love about this industry. Well, we love that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So before you go, though, we do the, something at the end here called the tasting menu, where we ask you three really quick questions. First thing that comes to mind. So the oh, first question so scary.
1: is, I <laughs> don't I know. worry. They're, they're fun. They're fun. They're fun. <laughs> they're fun. They're
0: fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> What's your favorite spice or spice blend? Ooh, oh, my God. There's so many I could
2: choose from. Okay. <laughs> if I'm just going right out of the gate, I'm going to say cardamom. And no. that is because we make chai every day in our household. And we usually use cardamom and fresh ginger. And uh, I was recently in Greece and couldn't find chai makings. And I was having complete and utter withdrawal. So yeah, I'm, I'm committed to my cardamom. Oh,
0: I love That's that good, answer. Yeah. That is a good That's answer. That's a good answer. I, yeah. I love chai. It's like, I, I'm a coffee drinker in the morning, but in the afternoon, Same. chai tea yeah. is where it's at.
2: Yeah, me too.
0: All right. Someone that you were most excited to meet at the James Beard Awards.
2: Mm, You know, honestly, it was so... We were starstruck. We were sitting there like, all of our mentors in one room were on the stage (laughs)
1: with
0: them. I bet, yeah. This
1: is crazy. (laughs)
2: Yeah. But we got incredibly lucky that a group of close restaurateur friends were also there. Some were nominated. Some were presenting one of the things that we created in our restaurant group was a um, conversation amongst chefs called Brown in the South. And it was a collection of other Indian chefs that were doing really interesting and revolutionary work in the South. And a conversation began between Vishvat and my husband, Mahirwan around like, at what point do you start identifying as a Southerner who happens to be Indian rather than an Indian who happens to be living in the South? Like, what is that about and, and how does that conversation evolve? And we started a dinner series called Brown in the South. And most of the chefs from that dinner series happened to be at the James Beard Awards that year. Manit was one of the presenters. Um, Chiti was nominated. Vish had won the year before. And so we were surrounded by our people and our close dear friends in the industry. Oh, and that. That, that made it feel so really cool. even more electric. Yeah, we felt wow. supported, and we needed them to literally lift us up and push us up onto that stage. Yeah. Otherwise, we were frozen in place. We wouldn't have been able to move.
1: Overwhelmed, yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, me too.
0: All right, last question.
1: Favorite city to eat in?
2: Ah, oh, my hometown, hundred percent right. Asheville, Asheville, yeah. North Carolina.
1: Pound for pound, you are not kidding. That is really one of the best trips I've ever been on. I, I love it there so much. Also, I'm a beer guy. Really, really, honestly, literally can't get better for beer in terms of options, but it's such a, it's a hell of a town.
2: We're like the wine country used to be, you know, it's like, this is where all <laughs> of the breweries are, but, um, yeah, we travel all over the place. We're in big cities, Chicago, New York, DC all the time. And the food of course is wonderful and we always eat out and enjoy it. Sure. But when we come home and enjoy our local places, the quality of food that we're getting here sourced locally with chefs that are just absolute artists, we feel very lucky.
0: Yeah. And there's just something town. about home, the hometown.
1: Hometown cooking. Yeah. 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 Get it. Yeah. Asheville really cracks that code. It's true.
2: Yeah. We have a surprising concentration of really high quality chefs doing phenomenal work for such yeah. a small little mountain town.
1: It's a lifestyle thing. Like just like you guys, you know, they all moved there, yeah. decided they want to open up a restaurant.
2: Totally. <laughs> yeah. That's what you do here. Yeah. Entrepreneurs, yeah. makers, creators. That's our yeah. town. Awesome. Well, Well, thank you you so much, Molly.
0: It's been great having you on the
1: show today. Molly, a true honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much.
2: So nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. You too. Bye. Hi, this is Matt Lynch, producer for So You Want a Restaurant with a quick programming announcement. We are going on a little hiatus uh, for So You Want a Restaurant, but do keep an eye on this feed for new episodes uh, in the future. Thanks and have a good day.
0: Want to hear more? Then you need to head to backofhouse.io where you can find the latest on restaurant technology, industry news, a ton of free how-to guides and interviews with industry experts. And while you're there, definitely remember to sign up for our free newsletter, Back of House News. Our team of reporters cuts through the noise and gives you the headlines that you really need to see each and every week. This is honestly one of the best weekly newsletters I've ever read, and I wouldn't say that if it weren't true. Follow us on Twitter at B-O-H underscore news and at We Are Back of House on all other platforms.